This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Hey, yo. What's up? How you feeling? Uh, a little bit better. So I got this... Um... I got this juice. Can you see this? <laughs> it's very green. Yeah, it's it's really cloudy and green. It's called liver aid. So that, <laughs> that sounded appropriate. It tastes like I guess you can juice celery because <laughs> this tastes like somebody juiced some celery in the sea and then so harvested it with some seaweed. Salty. Uh yeah. Yeah. There's actually like bits in here just like Ew. floating around. I don't know what's going to happen when I get to the bottom. Like do I do I chew that for like an hour? I don't really know. We're going to find out. That sounds horrible. We're going to find out together. Hey everybody, this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Buildface. Uh, so what's up? How are things? All right. Working on projects today. Yeah. Going to be in Seattle next week for CocoConf. Fun. Yeah. Should be interesting. That's a good trip. It's really quick. Leave like midday Thursday, come mm-hmm. back Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Keith and myself will be there. So if you're cool. going to be at CocoConf in Seattle, try to find us. We should take some stickers, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. People love ThoughtBot stickers. Yeah. That'll be fun. Have you been to CocoConf? No, this will be my first time. It's good. It's different. I think you'll like it a lot. I mean, it's weird that it's a it's like a three track thing. There's only like 150 people. Like when they they came to Boston, there were like 150 people with three tracks. So like you'll go in. Like I was in some talks at CocoConf Boston that had like five people in it. Wow, know? which was honestly kind of not great like if there's one criticism i would have for coco conf it's that i I think they have too many tracks i think that at most they could do two tracks my only other problem with coco conf is that the speakers go on a tour right so it's like a it's the same speakers giving the same talks at multiple conferences for local stuff they will bring in like a few people to talk it's not all the same people, but the core of the speakers are the same people going from conference to conference, giving that same talk. There was a weird vibe of, like, they had a bunch of inside jokes, and they knew each other, and it was clear that kind of like the speakers and the organizers were friends, and it kind of felt like watching that mm. a little bit, which wasn't great, but... Cool people will go just because cool people go to every conference. And then, you know, the talks are normally top notch. I saw Nevin Morgan, Nevin Mergen, Mergen, whatever. He gave a talk here in Boston last October, I guess, a year ago. Really good. So, yeah, I saw some really good talks. The other thing is that there's no, like, we've talked about how, like, NS North puts a really, really heavy emphasis on community and hanging out together and going places and that kind of stuff. And CocoConf has essentially none of that. So, you know what I mean? Like the conference just kind of ends Mm. and then it's kind of up to the attendees to put together stuff afterwards or do whatever, you know, 
So it's it's an interesting conference to go to, especially if you've been to other conferences that have. Uh, it's a much different vibe than I think a lot of other conferences have. Not necessarily a bad way, other than the other the two things I mentioned. But you know, I think it's worth checking out, especially if it's easy to get to. Like I probably wouldn't go to CocoConf Seattle from yeah. here, but like I haven't ruled out going to CocoConf Boston when they come around again. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's just a two-hour flight, right? here and it's at the convention center at the airport Mm -hmm. so everything's going to be super convenient right i'm really looking forward to justin williams talk um stupid auto layout tricks Mm -hmm. that that one sounds good yeah Um, cool also andy matushak is doing one called value and state functional and imperative that sounds killer yeah that sounds amazing pretty excited i can't remember if they put videos up they might not Mm. but i'd love to see i would i would love to see that I mean, the very last line of the description is people tell you that you're supposed to make your code reasonable, but how can you factor it out of your enormous view controllers? That is right <laughs> up our alley. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really cool seeing Andy since he's left Apple. So if you don't know who he is, he was a big one of the big UI kit guys at Apple for a while, right? He did Sparkle back in the day too when he was like a yeah. kid. <laughs> he made Sparkle the the OS ten update framework thing that's shockingly still around mm-hmm. um but he made sparkle and then went on to apple i, I don't know if there's stuff i'm not a, like a any matushak like historian i have no idea if there's i'm probably skipping some stuff but like he went on to apple and was on the ui kit team there and uh, we've talked about his talk at the last wwdc a bit but it's been i've been like really enjoying seeing him since he's left, seeing him pop up in, like, GitHub <laughs> threads, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, he'll just pop up. He's I think he's been using Quick or Nimble or both, probably oh, both. Cool. But, like, I've seen him pop up a couple times in repos that I follow. Oh, no, it's Swift Z, so it's even more interesting. He popped up in Swift Z asking some questions about some of the functional stuff in Swift Z and shouldn't this do this way and, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know. I just think it's cool. It's like it must be freeing, you know what I mean, <laughs> to finally be out from behind that veil mm-hmm. and get to just check out things and ask questions and talk about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever actually met him, but my impression is that he's just incredibly, incredibly smart yeah. and talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe maybe genius. Yeah. Drop the G word. Yeah. Yeah, I get that impression too. So what have you been up to this week? We haven't chatted too much. I've been kind of busy. What have I been doing all week? Uh, writing a blog post most of the week. Mm. I spent part of the week doing some functional Swift stuff. And then after I did that, I wrote a blog post on it, which will be out on Wednesday, so oh. the day this launches. Neat. Um, That's excellent timing. Yeah. The idea behind the blog post was, you know, Tony wrote those three really just fantastic blog posts about using functional concepts, really FMAP bind, apply some custom operators, using that to make json parsing easier and cleaner and more straightforward in swift right and then we actually published a library we have an open source library now called argo that tony wrote 
based on what he learned writing those blog posts, right? So he was writing this kind of like library as he's writing this blog post series. Um, and what we ended up with was Argo. And I think that's fantastic. However, just because of the way those blog posts went, like it's very focused on JSON and that's not wrong. Like, but if you don't know those concepts, it might be hard to find places outside of those exact examples where you would want to use stuff like specifically FMAP and apply. And I think it's worthwhile to talk about FMAP and apply even just those two specific concepts, FMAP and apply and using them and explaining them over and over and over and over again, because they're insanely useful and they're insanely powerful. But if you're not used to thinking that way, then they're not going to be the first thing you think of. You know what I mean? Like it takes a little while to recognize these patterns and to be able to pull them out. So basically what happened is I, I, I was writing, uh, I was working on a roster and we're bridging from an objective C library. Uh, we're bridging it over to Swift that it backs our API. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's some optional values there. And I was like doing some stuff like string concatenation based on these optional values. And so, of course, they were blowing up because they're implicitly unwrapped coming out of Objective-C. And that just kind of sucks. And so I was having these I was having these runtime errors, these crashes where I didn't want them. And so initially it's just like, oh, well, I can put an iflet around this. And if you just do everything with iflets, like it all works. You just guard it. But I've more and more and more been seeing iflets not as a smell i just think it's an ugly pattern it's a useful pattern but i think it's an ugly pattern i think it kind of violates ask don't tell a little bit you know what i mean you have to ask the thing are you actually a thing and then do something versus just telling it do something and it will either do the thing or not do the thing based on whether it's there or not it mm -hmm. ends up being a much I think a clearer way of putting it together. So that, that led me to using FMAP because that, that's basically what FMAP does. So basically FMAP takes a function and an optional value. And if the value exists, it applies the value to the function. No, it applies the function. Of the value. I always get this wrong. I always say it backwards. It applies the function to the value. Right, meaning meaning that the value is passed as an argument to the function. Correct, and yes. then the result is what's returned to you. The result is uh, you. It returns an optional value, so it runs the function and returns that. So it's now an optional wrapped in sum. So it's some you get back some value. Mm. Does that make sense? So yes. you pass in you pass in a function and an optional value, and you get back an optional value. So if it exists. If the value exists, then you get back some value. If the value doesn't exist, if it's none, the whole thing just returns none. So that function is never invoked. It never does anything. And so that's useful, right? Because now all of a sudden, instead of having to do an if let, you just pass that thing into FMAP with a function that basically does some string concatenation, right? And now you have an optional string. And now you just have to unwrap it or – and you can use that the nil coalescing operator, mm -hmm. um, which is double question mark. So the nil coalescing operator unwraps the optional and returns it if there's a value. 
but if if the optional is none, it returns whatever the default value is that you supplied after the. Op- so you would do like foo question mark, question mark default value. So in this case, it was like a Twitter handle, I think, or a GitHub handle or something like that. So it was like Twitter handle question mark question mark empty string. So if there is a Twitter handle, it will return the Twitter handle. If there isn't a Twitter handle, it will return an empty string. I'll link to the blog post too, but I can link to all of this in roster in the show notes so it's easier to see. Cool. But that just made – I don't know. Like I like getting rid of that conditional. You know what I mean? I'm a big fan of not having conditionals, and the conditional at that point is something that I don't even feel the need to test that much really because it's all wrapped up in FMAP. And it's wrapped up in – so FMAP is implemented with a switch statement. So the switch statement is – the compiler is checking the switch statement to make sure that all of the the different cases are taken care of. You know what I mean? So there's, there's all of a sudden there's really no room for an error. You know what I mean? Uh, you kind of lost me on that last bit about the switch statement. I'm going to open up your blog post yep. in GitHub and take a look here. So the implementation of FMAP is literally you perform a switch statement on the value. And because of Swift, you can you do pattern matching. So you do you have two cases inside the switch statement. You have some value or none. So you do case some let val let x basically and then you do return f of x. Case none return none. Oh okay. You see what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. so switch statements in Swift turn into pattern matching, basically what was like pattern matching in Haskell. And it's just kind of like a more, I don't know, I like that way of defining that stuff better. And, again, because we're not using a conditional, because we're using a switch statement, the compiler can check, right? So if we, for example, didn't have the none case defined, then the compiler would say, hey, you're not taking care of this enumeration possibility right right because that's an that's an error now that's not even a warning you have to either have a default case or you have to exhaust all of the available patterns Mm -hmm. all of the available enumerations yeah it's great it's great real quick what is the f and f map i don't know is it function functor i think oh i think it's functor because that's in haskell anything that can be f mapped over is a functor hmm it's like a whole rabbit hole that I honestly don't like understand too much. But a functor is just a type class, right? Functor is just a protocol that things support. And one of the things that functors support is FMAP. Okay. I think I get that. It really is just a protocol. So it's like a protocol with one, in this case, for simplification reasons, um, we'll say that functor is a protocol that has one method in it. And you must implement FMAP. It's a little bit different just because, you know, we're talking about global functions instead of instance methods, but you can think of it like that, right? Like if you want to be a functor, you have to define FMAP for yourself, you know, just like if you want to be, you know, a UI table view data source, you have to define a self row and index path for yourself. That makes sense. Got it? That's that's all a type class is. A type class in Haskell is the exact same thing as a protocol in Swift and Objective-C. It's just an abstract interface, right? They just have way more of them. A lot like in Swift. In Swift, we have way more protocols than we do 
in Objective C, you know, because all that stuff printable, equatable, all that stuff has been pulled out of the NS object conglomerate thing and implemented directly as individual protocols. So yeah, it's it's very it's very similar to that. I guess if it wasn't, we would have to have some kind of base class in Swift. Right, exactly. We would. Because otherwise there's no types. You know what I mean? Like what do you, you like your choice would be, I guess, to inherit from nothing or inherit from everything, which is kind of where we are in Objective C. You know? So by by breaking everything out into different smaller pieces and different type classes, that's what allows us to and then and then just building in a basic initializer thing into just like every class, every struct, every enumerable has an initializer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so once I did the F map, then I all of a sudden I jumped into the next thing, which was formatting a string version of a URL. And that led to an interesting like extension of the same problem, which is that I had optionals that had optional values attached to it. Right. So now it's not just one thing. Is this thing there? Or is this thing not? I had multiple things because it was a NSURL, right? And then that coming out of Objective C, the NSURL instance is in implicitly unwrapped optional, and it has a host property and a path property, right? This is all the same as Objective C. So, so the NSURL instance has a host property and a path property. They aren't implicitly unwrapped. Those are actual optionals coming out of NSURL. It was crashing, as I'd expect, it was crashing when employees didn't have a personal email address or a personal website set up. But even if they did, it was printing this string that was optional, like the word optional parens path. The word optional parens host. You know what I mean? It was, or Well, that's flipped, but you get what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. It was printing out the word optional wrapping this string. Um because that just happens to be when you I never, like, use string interpolation on an optional. I had never unwrapped it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. So I was trying to – I was printing out an optional. What the hell else would it print out? Of course it's going to print out. You know what I mean? And then uh, the other times I was getting nil-nil, which I didn't understand how that was – oh, it must have been that the URL was there. It must have been getting an empty string. And so the URL was there. But when it printed it out, it was printing nil. So it didn't have a host and it didn't have a path. So instead, it got nil-nil. Mm. So I wanted to take care of that whole thing at once. You know what I mean? I don't want to print nil-nil. One, like I don't want to print nil-nil. That's a horrible experience. Two, I want to unwrap these optionals anyway. Three, I don't really want to crash if there isn't a personal URL. So taking that same thing in, I can use fmap and this other function called apply, which is almost exactly the same as fmap, at least the way we implemented it. And Pat, actually, who's one of the kind of big Haskell guys here, he made a note on the pull request because he was surprised at how we had implemented apply. What apply does, apply takes an optional function. Okay, so it takes a function. Yeah, right. So it takes a function that may or may not be there. It means you could pass nil to that function and it'll do what it needs to do but it takes an optional function and an optional value and then returns an optional value does that make sense do you get the concept of optional functions optional functions are just like anything else i mean just in in swift you can just think of it as like you can pass nil instead of passing a function yeah they're wacky they're wacky to think about they really are 
I guess I'm not yet understanding why you would ever not pass a function. I'll tell you right here. We're getting good segue. So, so apply. It takes an optional function and an optional value and returns an optional value. Right? You with me so far? What we did in, in FMAP is we did a switch on the optional value that was passed as an argument. Right? In apply, we do a switch on the optional function. If it isn't given a function, it returns none. Right? You'd expect that, right? Like, you can't apply nothing to something if you were given nothing as a function. That doesn't make sense. So if you don't pass in a function, then it returns none. But if you did pass in a function, it unwraps it. So it does case sum let fx is kind of the way we wrote it. But sum let function, unwrap that function, and then use fmap and do function fmap the optional that you were passed in array. And then that does, because you're using fmap, now it does that second unwrapping, right? And if the value is there, now it's unwrapping that value. And if the value is there, it returns that function applied to the value. And if the value isn't there, then it returns none from that as well. Okay. So for apply to actually return something, both the function and the optional value have to have something yes. because it's going to eventually map over that optional functor. Yes. Boom. Yes. Nailed it. Okay, I'm yeah. starting to get it. Yeah. So here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing about what that lets us do, right? We have this situation. We have multiple optional values. And the thing is this scales pretty much infinitely. Like Tony ran into some problems with type inference and or – compiler issues and whatever when he was getting really crazy with some of this stuff down the road but for all intents and purposes real world use you're talking about maybe you want to do this with two three four things tops you want to chain them but because of the way this works so what i did was i said in the earlier example that i had a function that took a string and returned a concatenated string right so basically this function all it did was it it added an at sign in front of the twitter name so that you'd get at G Fontenot at 21x9 instead of instead of just the name, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I did the same thing. I created a function that took two strings, a host and a path, and then concatenate them together with a slash in the middle and return that. But the way you write it is you put each argument in its own set of parens. So you have function name, I think it was like website format, parens, host, string, Close paren, open paren, path, string, close paren, which is a weird syntax. But what it actually lets us do, that's a curried function. It's a function that's able to be curried. Currying, basically, it lets you partially apply functions. So what that function lets me do is it lets me just pass a host argument to that function. I don't have to pass both. All I have to do is pass the host function. So if I call that function with just one argument and just pass in the host, what it actually does is then it returns a function that just takes the path. Got it. Do you get it? And yeah. so once all of the arguments are satisfied, then it returns the concatenated string. Mm-hmm. So now I can take that. I can fmap that over the host optional. So I do URL. And then I use the optional chaining URL question mark dot host, right? 
which says that means try to get the host out of the URL, right? right. So all of a sudden, you can see where this is going. If the URL is none, then it's going to return none right there. If the URL's host is none, it's also going to return none right there. And the cool thing is then we do apply. So you do your uh, website format, FMAP, URL host, apply, which, remember, takes an optional function, apply URL path. So if the URL host, if the URL or the URL's host are nil, we never get past apply. Apply stops right there. Apply just returns nil. If the URL and the URL host is there, then it tries to apply the URL path as that second argument. And if for whatever reason, if the URL has gone away or if the path is nil, it still returns none. And so that thing still fails. So you build up this chain through currying and FMAP and apply and optionals. You end up building up this chain that says at any point along this time, if one thing fails, everything fails. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just a really, really safe and really, really concise way instead of having to do if let URL, if let host, if let path nested three if lets return this and then all the way at the bottom return an empty string you know what i mean all i do is i do like website string equals website format fmap url host apply url path and then i just do return website string question mark question mark empty string right got it type safe no room for error there once you get used to those concepts, it's easier to read and you kind of like – once you go into that and you start seeing FMAP and apply, it's just such a common pattern that pops up all over the place that you don't have you don't have to think about too much about the internals of what's going on there and what's being unwrapped when. Although it's, it's nice to know that. You know what I mean? Like I think you probably should. You know, There's another blog post from – did Rich write that one? The Voodoo, yeah. Voodoo Code? Stop writing Voodoo Code? Like – we shouldn't do that. Like, don't write stuff that you don't understand. You should un- understand this stuff if you're going to write it. But once you understand it, you can also just look at it like, oh, okay, I'm going to chain these things together and I'm going to get what I want back or I'm going to get nothing. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I, I think the bit that I was missing there that now has fallen into place is that, and it makes perfect sense, is that as a function is being curried, it's returning an optional function each step of the way. When I had um, never really considered it's that. It's not returning an optional function. Um, it's just returning a function. It's returning a, f- a function that takes one fewer arguments. What's returning the optional function is FMAP. Because FMAP returns an optional value, right? And the result of that first step, the result of website, your website format FMAPed over the host, the result of that function, applying one argument to that function instead of both arguments, the result of that is a function itself. The reason it's optional is because it could be none if the value is none. Okay. Let me back up. Curried functions always return another function. That is not optional. If you have a curried function and you apply too few parameters, you get back a function that takes the rest of those parameters, period. There's no if ands, or buts about that. Okay. That's what you get. The optional part comes in because the way FMAP works, you're FMAPing a function over a value, right? FMAP can always return none if that value is none. 
Get what I'm saying? Okay. So if the va- yes. if the value is some, you do get back a function. But if the value is none, it never even tries to curry anything. It never passes that argument to the function. It just returns none, which passes return none as the function into apply. And we know that that also returns none. Yeah. Right. So that's where the chain breaks. It doesn't actually break. You know, what's going to happen is it, it just cascades. So, like, it can return something, 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 and then one thing returns none. And then from that point on, it finishes executing, but everything after that down the line is none. Does that make sense? It's not an early return. It continues executing. It just so happens that since it got a none somewhere down the line, that just propagates through the chain. Mm. So is it possible for the compiler to optimize that into an early return, though? Possibly. I don't know enough about, about compilers to say yes or no. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I was wondering <laughs> if, it, if it could look ahead and basically be like, well, you know, we're about to do a, what will be a no-op here, so let's just bail. Possibly. I, yeah. I, I honestly have no idea. If someone that knows more about compilers and specifically the Swift, I mean, you'd really have to know about the Swift compiler stuff and how all that works, and I don't know enough about that at all to say one way or another. Um. I don't even know if the Haskell compiler can do that. That'd be something good to find out too. If you read the blog post, it's probably going to make a little more sense than because you see the code and you know. But like as I was doing this, I was like, God, this is just so much nicer. You define a couple things, which you know those should probably be somewhere like in a pa- in a central package, so we don't have to write this for every project. Like I don't want to keep writing fmap and apply and bind and all that crap, but. Like just just using it, especially with the Cocoa APIs and with how many optionals we're dealing with, like everything is an optional at some point, you know, and just because of how long it's going to take before we actually get a fully audited API for Cocoa where it does, it actually is returning optionals only where needed. And then I assume they'd have to let us give us some kind of annotations so that we could say, like, this is not an optional. This will be there, you know what I mean, for for our own stuff. But that, all that is just going to take so much time. I just, as I was doing this, I couldn't help but think that, like, this is just all this if-let stuff, all this unwrapping stuff. Like, this wasn't some crazy type-sensitive, like, the JSON stuff is interesting because he's, you're trying to parse an inherently non-type-safe object into a strictly type safe object and that's very hard that's not that's not an easy thing to do but this isn't that you know what i mean this isn't like a fundamental mismatch and trying to correct a fundamental mismatch trying to say stay type safe when you have this not type safe thing this is this felt like absolutely everyday stuff like i've said before the roster app uh, this app is not doing anything crazy at all. It's very, very straightforward. And it's it's a very trivial – it's at a very trivial level right now. Before this, this this view model that, that I was writing this stuff in, the view model was very simple. It was almost all pass-through stuff. You know, um, Even now it's very streamlined because everything is one line. But it just really, really felt like – a situation where I was running into something that I'm going to run into all the time. And I really liked the way it felt 
once I had that solution. And like, I felt, it felt safe. It felt like I didn't have to worry about these crashes anymore. Mm. You know, going back to what you said about the annotations, do you know how that's actually working in Apple's frameworks? I have no idea. I feel like you should be able to look at the objective C headers and see if they have anything, but it's not, it's not there. It's not. I don't know where these are being applied or compiler. Uh, I think it must be like when it's generating the Swift compatible right. sort of headers, like there's some step in there. What yeah, do they know. do? Just white? Li- like I can't imagine. I can't figure out. You'd think they would want to do it in the headers because otherwise they're what? They're whitelisting methods and properties that won't return nil. That's really weird. Maybe they're redeclaring them in the implementations and doing it and then we can't see it just because we only have the headers. Mm-hmm. Is that even possible? It doesn't seem likely. Yeah. I mean, that's what I really want. Like, you know, because we're right. using this Objective-C API that I wrote earlier in the year that wraps right. this actual API. And I'd love to be able to go in there and say, like, yeah, no, these things should be here. Right. You know, like, are, you want to flip optionals. a switch. You want to flip a switch so that the things that are optional are actual optionals. Because these freaking – I understand – I, and I've complained about this on the show before, but like I absolutely understand the point behind implicitly unwrapped optionals. I just think they are the worst thing <laughs> ever. It's the worst thing ever, man. It's like it's like, hey, we have this new cool type system that's supposed to reduce runtime errors. And by the way, here's this thing that we've put everywhere that will absolutely just generate runtime errors for you. You know what I mean? It's like a freaking runtime error factory. Like that's all it does is it either blows up or it doesn't. It's like that's the whole point of these optional things is to not have to worry about that. So I would love to force things to be actual optional values as opposed to just having to know that they're implicitly unwrapped optionals and that will force me to use these patterns. You know what I mean? Because right. you can, you can, you know, the the problem with an implicitly unwrapped optional versus an optional is that if you get an implicitly unwrapped optional and your function or your method or whatever returns a non-optional value, you can just return that implicitly unwrapped optional and it'll just try to unwrap it for you, right? And then yeah. if it's nil, it blows up. If they were actual optionals, if this framework that we have, this little SDK. If it was dealing with optional actual optional values, basically nothing that I had nothing that I had done before this, before I found these, noticed the crashes, nothing that I would have done. The compiler wouldn't have even let me do that because I would have been trying to access stuff directly, and I would have been trying to um, use string concatenation and optional. It wouldn't have worked. The compiler would have said, "Hey, this isn't the right type for this." And it would have been like, oh, right, optional. And I would have had to go through and fix it. Like, it would have prevented me from even getting to the point where I had crashes in the first place. That's like a fact. You know, if it's a strictly type system and we have optional values and we're using actual optionals, there's no getting around those optional values unless, well, I mean, you could force unwrap it. But if you do that, you're asking for trouble and you deserve all the trouble you get because it's just a horrible, horrible idea. That's probably worse. Force unwrapping optionals is worse than implicitly unwrapped optionals, but only because your introduce, I don't know, maybe which one do you think is worse? 
I can't decide if it's worse that the compiler, that the that the framework is introducing these this source of bugs in your code, or that you are willingly subverting the type system in order to introduce bugs in your code. Uh, I think it's worse to have it hoisted upon you. Okay. Because then you don't really have like right. a say in it. Right. It's a close second, though. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's been my... That's kind of been my week. It was it was fun writing the blog post. It kind of just it was an easy post to write. It kind of fell out of me. Like I start writing a blog post sometimes, and I'm just like, get halfway through. I'm like, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. And then I don't. <laughs> I have like four or five drafts up there that people keep bugging me about that I just haven't written. But this one really kind of was fun to write. Was easy to write. Writing about this stuff helps me like internalize it more too. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like writing out FMAP and apply in order to use them gave me a better understanding of what FMAP and apply do. At least in – I had to make this disclaimer in the blog post too that the the weird thing here is that like we're talking about FMAP and apply but we're really just talking about one aspect of FMAP and apply which is FMAP and apply as they pertain to optional values because like I said like FMAP for example – is deals with functors, right? And maybe values. And in Haskell, maybe is the functor, right? In our case, optional is a, is what the functor is. Um, so it def, it defines how you pass a function over an argument for that argument's type. So again, we implemented FMAP by switching on the optional value. Well, for example, lists... In Haskell, lists are also a function. You know map? Yeah. Map is fmap. Same thing. It, it is. I'm, I'm saying it is. Like in Haskell, map is implemented as fmap. It just returns fmap. That's all it is. This gets into weird, wacky stuff. <laughs> but, but, you know, maybe you're optional. It's, it's this concept of something or nothing. Lists are values inside this context of there are a bunch of them. So when you fmap something over a list, you would define that as applying that function to every item in the list. And returning a new list? And returning a new list. Okay. So you get a list. It always returns the same context that it was given. So in our case of fmap for optionals, it returns an optional. If it's FMAP for lists, it would return a list. Does that make sense? Yes. Barely hanging on. <laughs> but my, yes. My, my, point, my point was that like all this – everything that I've said and everything that Tony said and everything, everything that like kind of we talked about in terms of like FMAP and apply and like all these functions, they're not actually just designed for maybe values. Maybe is a very nice, easy way to kind of ease into these concepts – of fmap and apply and all these things but fmap really in haskell would work on any functor and apply would work on any applicative which maybe is maybe is an applicative and so like a an optional function is an applicative functor Mm -hmm. anyway it, no, I'd, it gets it gets it gets wacky, and but I'm getting it more. Do like working with it more, and especially like I said, like writing the blog posts helped me a lot, and defining them myself, and then using them myself helped me 
Yeah, this conversation with you was immensely helpful to me. Yeah. I only made that sound just now because I, I've <laughs> exhausted all of my cognitive capital for the day. <laughs> okay. and I still have to go back and do more refactoring. You want to wrap it up? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Show notes for this episode are to be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash buildphase slash 59. And as always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, we appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. Yeah, good talk.